Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the chance to connect with you by the power of your word today. We ask that you would speak. We ask that you would give us ears to hear. We ask that you would give us grace so that we could respond to your call to us to follow Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that we would know that even though the path comes with difficulties, there is no better way we could spend our life than to offer it to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who gave up his life that we might know life abundant. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning, it comes from Mark chapter 8, and we'll read verses, um, we'll start in verse 27, and we'll go uh, to the end of the chapter. Hear this word. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again. He said this all quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. We pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Peter cannot comprehend that the Messiah will die. And the rest of the crowd can't comprehend that to follow the Messiah might include their deaths too. All of this is a strange way to introduce the gospel. But the gospel is the strangest sort of good news. To understand this text, we've got to understand what Peter thinks it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, for Jesus to be the Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word that means anointed. Christ is the Greek word that means anointed. And both of these things mean that this person will be the anointed one in David's line. 
Uh, this is how you install a king in ancient Israel, is, is God would anoint them to be king. So the king was the Messiah. The king was the anointed one. In Greek, the king was the Christ. So when Peter, as, as this text starts today, when Peter says, you are the Messiah, he's making a bold political claim. A claim that stands in the face of Caesar, that stands in, in the face of Pilate, the governor of the region. A claim that says that Jesus is going to be more powerful than any other political figure in the area. That's what Peter thinks he means when he says that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus tells them not to tell anyone at all. He's been saying this over and over again. When, when the demons have spoken out and exposed Jesus' identity, he's told them to be quiet. He doesn't seem to want anyone to know that he's the Messiah. The way that he refers to himself is the Son of Man. And so as he continues to teach, he goes straight into teaching the whole crowd, everyone openly, not a secret, what's going to happen to the Son of Man. The Son of Man is going to suffer. The Son of Man is going to be rejected by all of the religious leaders. The elders and the scribes and the chief priests are going to reject him. He's going to be killed. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. This is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. He says it all matter-of-factly. And Peter, Peter pulls him aside. And he says, Jesus, you've got to stop talking this way. We all know, even though you won't tell anybody, that you're the Messiah. And for Peter, this means that Israel is going to exist as a country again. The Romans are going to be defeated. There's going to be a king over Israel, King Jesus. For Jesus to meet to be the Messiah means earthly, obvious victory. It would not be enough for the Messiah to lead a battle against the Romans and defeat them and die in battle. It wouldn't be enough for him to lead a successful coup because the Messiah is to reign over Israel. And Peter thinks he's going to be the right-hand man to Jesus the King. And so he pulls Jesus aside and he tries to correct him. Right after his confession of Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus tells them what it's going to look like for him to be the Messiah, and Peter cannot get his head around it, so much so that he feels the need to correct Jesus. Jesus says he's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected by all of the religious leaders, and he's going to be killed, and then he's going to rise from the dead. And none of these things are a secret. So when Peter pulls him aside. Peter cannot imagine that Jesus is going to die. That Jesus is going to be rejected. Because what, what Jesus is saying, it's, it's not expedient. It's not effective. It's not comfortable. It's not in keeping with how Peter thinks things ought to go. And Peter's grabbed Jesus, maybe by the arm, maybe by the clothes, and he's pulled him out of earshot of everybody else. So he can quietly correct Jesus. And Jesus turns his body and Peter and looks at the disciples and says it loud enough for them to hear, Get behind me, Satan. You have set your mind not on divine things, 
but on earthly things. You have set your mind not on divine things, but on earthly things. Peter went from making the first true confession of Jesus' identity as Messiah to being referred to as Satan and standing in the way of Jesus doing what he's been called to do. And it's really not that surprising given that only demons have recognized Jesus for who he is so far in the gospel. Jesus has told them what it's going to look like for him to be the Messiah. And now he's going to tell the whole crowd what it looks like for them to be disciples. And it's not exactly the warmest, most inviting invitation that one might expect to follow Jesus. He says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross. They must follow me. And if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. What will it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? What could you give in return for your life? Don't be ashamed of me now. As you try to impress this sinful and adulterous generation, these people that aren't worthy of your seeking their approval. Because if you're ashamed of me now, I, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of you when I return in my Father's glory and a host of angels. Peter, you're thinking about human things. You need to get your mind on divine things. It's inconceivable to Peter and to the whole crowd that the Messiah would suffer and die. That's why they shout what they do at Jesus on the cross. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, do you know what they say to Jesus? They say, Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. If you're the Messiah, if you're the King of Israel, you're not going to die on that cross, they say. The same thing that Peter says. If you're the Messiah, you can't be rejected and die. So the very fact that the chief priests and the the elders have made this happen, that they have conspired with the Roman government to get Jesus killed, is the proof that they feel like they need that Jesus was a fraud all the way along. If he was the Messiah, it wouldn't end this way. The Messiah wins. The Messiah sets everything right. The Messiah reigns. The Messiah does not die in shame. Peter's mind isn't on divine things, though. It's on earthly things. Along with the chief priests and the elders and everyone else. Peter thinks that Jesus must win in the way that Peter would know he has to win if he was going to be king. He's got to kill the Romans. And Jesus is going to win by letting the Romans and the political leaders kill him. And maybe the only thing that's close to being as inconceivable as the Messiah dying is that ordinary people 
would drop everything, would deny themselves so that they could pick up an instrument of torture and death and carry it after a man who says he's going to die. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's not just an invitation to pick up and carry a heavy piece of wood. It's not just an invitation to take on a burden that makes it harder to walk, something that's difficult to tote around. When Jesus calls us, when Jesus calls us, he bids us come and die. And you might have heard this passage so often in your life growing up in the church, if you've been raised in the church, that it doesn't sound that striking to you. But as Jesus offers it, it would have sounded to the crowd more like Jim Jones' invitation to drink Kool-Aid than it would your run-of-the-mill altar call at the end of a regular Sunday service. And that's what makes this gospel, this good news, so strange. Peter and all of the Judeans expected power in a form that they could recognize it. And Jesus shows them what the Messiah looks like enthroned on a cross and coronated with a crown of thorns, anointed as the Messiah by a woman with oil for his burial. The way of Jesus was always going to be the way of the cross. This isn't a surprise for Jesus. This is the thing that he came to do. It was never his intention to avoid death. And for us, though we might try to confuse it by all of the medical care we receive and by all of the ways that we have found to promote health and wellness, we will not at the end of it all get out of life alive. And if we don't get this thing right, Jesus says, nothing else matters. If we don't get this right, none of the rest of it will have any importance. When I was in elementary school, they, they did a thing about lung disease, and, and we would raise money for it, and, and, and if, we, if we raised enough money, we would get to go and jump rope for some portion of the day and, and be out of class. But they were promoting health and wellness, and one year they gave us a shirt that I will never forget. The shirt said, if you can't breathe, nothing else matters. If you can't breathe, nothing else matters. There's a deep truth to that. None of the other comforts of this world will comfort you if you don't have enough oxygen. Recently, I've been watching a show on Netflix called Forged in Fire. It's done by the History Channel, and it's, and it's people making knives. And one of the things in almost every episode that catches up with one of the people who's, who's forging a knife is that they fail to meet the parameters. With each, with each knife, they're given a certain length and width, and, and they must be in these parameters in order to be tested. And if they don't meet it, they're immediately disqualified. But every show, it seems, not quite every show, but almost every show, there's someone who makes a beautiful knife. It's one of the, often it's one of the prettiest ones that's made. It's, it's creative, it's well-crafted, and it's just not long enough, or there's just something that's not right about it that doesn't meet the parameters. And the rest of the knife doesn't matter if they miss this one thing. If we don't get this right, nothing else about our lives matters. 
not our professional success, not our families, nothing else matters. You can gain all the power. You can gain all the money. You can gain the whole world. You can be the teacher of the year or the parent of the year or the employee of the year or the boss of the year or, a, or, or the person of the decade. But if you don't get this right, none of the rest of it matters. You can gain the whole world and it will be the worst bet you ever made. Because what is good What is good is for you to to deny yourself and to pick up your cross and to follow Jesus. You can do whatever you need to survive. You can protect your life. But if surviving is your primary goal, it's not going to mean anything. The only way to save your life is to give it up. This means that everything else Everything has to be subjected to what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. If there is anything else preventing you from making following Jesus your number one priority, then you are going to gain whatever you do. And you're going to miss the one thing that matters. When Jesus says this, when he he says to to give up your life for the sake of the gospel, he's not saying to take your own life. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. What he's calling us to do is to kill that which in ourselves is unduly attached to this world. Because we've got our mind on earthly things and we can't see the divine thing. So we need to set aside every attachment that we have to this world, including our own inclination to prioritize our survival, to follow him. There are things that are legitimately good in this world. God made the world to be good. And human sin has corrupted it such that not everything is good in the way that it was initially. But still, there are good things in this world. Sports are good and enjoyable things. The activities that our kids participate in are good and enjoyable things. School and education are good and important things. Jobs and fruitfulness and participation in the economy is a good and important thing. Family is a good and important thing. But if these things are hindering our ability to follow Jesus... We are going to miss the one thing that matters. We're going to be so focused on the good things of this world that we're going to miss the goodness of the one who made it. Caesareus of Arles says it this way, While there is much in the world to love, it is best loved in relation to the one who made it. The world is beautiful, but much fairer is the one who fashioned it. The world is glorious, But more delightful is the one by whom the world was established. Therefore, let us labor as much as we can, beloved, that love of the world as such may not overwhelm us, and that we may not love the creature more than the Creator. God has given us earthly possessions in order that we may love Him with our whole heart and soul. But sometimes we provoke God's displeasure against us, 
when we love his gifts more than God himself. The same thing happens in human relationships. Suppose someone gives a special gift to his protege, but the protege then begins to despise the giver and loves the gift more than the one who gave. Suppose he comes to think of the giver no longer as friend, but enemy. Just so it is with our relationship with God. We want to be loved for who we are, not for what we can give to others. So God is known to love those who love Him more than the earthly gifts He gives. The Messiah has come to suffer and to die and to rise again on the third day. Jesus' victory does come. His power is established, not with human armies, not with worldly victory, not in a human temple or on a human throne. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And when He comes in the fullness of His Father's glory, He will come with an army of angels. His victory is assured. We need to make sure that we're not so worried about gaining the approval of this sinful generation that we fail to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. The victory of Jesus, the victory of the Messiah will happen. He does reign. But if we want to participate in that, We've got to have our mind on divine things and not on earthly things. You might be worried about who's in charge of our country. You might be really excited about who runs the world. But power is not the goal. And comfort is not the goal. And winning is not the goal. Our will, what we want, our desires, our expectations, none of these things are reliable things to us. They will lead us astray. We can get what we want and lose our life. But if we lay everything aside and follow Jesus, not worried about being productive or expedient, even if it looks like utter defeat, If we follow in the way of Jesus, even if it costs us our lives, we will be right where we need to be. Because God's weakness is more powerful than any human strength. And God's wisdom, God's foolishness, the strangeness of the gospel is more wise than any human knowledge. Lent a season where we remember this basic truth, that if we cling too tightly to life in this world and the goodness of the world as we know it, at the expense of living in the full communion of God, we will miss the one thing that we were made for. It's a season where we live intentionally into the call to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow Jesus where we embrace in its fullness what it means to live in the light of this strange gospel, where followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus are unconcerned with their own lives because they know God can save them. We aren't ashamed of a Messiah who died being mocked 
on a cross without defeating anyone. We aren't ashamed of a Messiah who was much too strong, not too weak, to come down from the cross. The challenge for us is to refuse to waste what little time on earth we have pursuing things that will not satisfy us, seeking after things that will not save us. Don't work so hard to ensure your own survival or to gain the whole world that you lose who you are in Jesus. Instead, embrace the difficulty that is discipleship. Put to death all of your attachments to this world by the power of the grace of God. You don't have to do it by yourself. And pick up your cross and follow Jesus into his kingdom that looks to the world like weakness and shame, but is the truth and his power and his glory beyond imagination. Follow Jesus all the way to Golgotha. This is the task of Lent. This is the task of our whole lives as disciples of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who we are in you. We thank you that you came not to be served, but to serve. We thank you that you came not to assert your power in the ways that the world expected it, but that in weakness and humility and shame, you would show the glory of your Father. We pray, O Lord, that we be captivated by the truth of the gospel, such that all of the rest of the things of this world begin to fade, and we begin to see what it looks like for us to give up everything so that we can gain all things in you. We pray this in your powerful name, knowing that you can make it true. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. I'm Chad Bowen, and I have the pleasure of pastoring this congregation that seeks to live as God's children, sharing the love of Christ through study, worship, and service. Although the pandemic is not over and there still remains some risk in gathering, we're thrilled that case counts in our state and hospitalizations have declined enough for us to gather in the sanctuary for worship again. We're meeting at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and we would love to have you join us in person. Even if you've never worshipped with us in person before, or even if it's been a long time since you were with others in church, we want you to join us as we seek to follow Jesus together. One way that you can be a part of the work that God is doing through More Memorial UMC is to give. You can give online at morememorialumc.com give. That's M-O-O-R-E, Memorial, UMC, like unitedmethodistchurch.com. You can mail a check to P.O. Box 467, Winona, Mississippi, 38967. Our budget runs entirely on donations from people like you, and every little bit helps. If you're not able to join us in worship right now, I would love to hear from you this week. Especially, I'd like to hear how you sense God's grace at work in your life, or questions that you have about God or about following Jesus, send me an email at chad at morememorialumc.com, call the church office 662-283-3804, or find some time to come by the office and see me. Nothing would make me happier than to talk to you this week about what God's doing in your life. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.